get the handout. Uh, I was just, um, Molly and I occasionally will have opportunities to, to teach together. We love to do that. It's a great joy. Um, and we actually had a, a funeral a couple years ago um, uh, that we were kind of fighting over who would do the eulogy. And so we decided to do it uh, together. And this was a guy who had come to our church but had grown up in a Roman Catholic background. So there were a number of Roman Catholics there. And afterwards, one of them said to Molly, they're like, so when the priest is married, his wife joins him for the sermons. Like she just thought that was, was like a Protestant thing. That, and if you have a wife, she gets to sit in on any sermon you give. So anyway, so that just reminded me of that. So that's, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so as we start tonight, we're going to be talking about our vision for multiplying churches. And um, I put the verse at the top from Ezekiel. I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them. And just as that reminder that it is God who does all and we do some, that uh, there is no way for us to multiply without um, God's doing. Uh, it's not a work of human hands. And so as we talk about our, um, the place that we each have in multiplying churches, just remember that it, that is not a place where you're ever alone, that God is doing that work and you are joining him. Um, Okay, so, so Stuart asked me to talk a little bit about Petrine, and uh, then, then uh, William kind of, I'd say, raced through some of Pauline, so, uh, so I'm going to take some time and maybe talk about it, uh, but briefly. Um, I think that the, one of the things I want to highlight from what was said earlier is that in our diocese, we want it all. We want to see churches planted in all kinds of different places, um, in different ways, by different people. We don't have this like cookie cutter of like, you need to look like this and the church is gonna have to look like this and this is exactly how, like a template of like how you have to do it, a checklist. And, and that is unusual. Um, when we attended a church plant training in the year 2000, it was very much of like, this is exactly how you plant this church. This will be the outcome. Um, that was more in a Petrine model. But I know that there's also like categories where they teach you this is how you do a Pauline church plant. Typically at those trainings, what they're saying in them is this is the best way to plant a church. Or the only way. Or the only way to plant a church. And that's how it was uh, when we went to this training. That was the only way to plant a church. And so as we were in the midst of conversations of forming Diocese of the Upper Midwest, I do remember this moment with William, he and I sitting across the table, and I feel like I had my fist raised, like duking it out with William, because we were, we, we were both in this place of needing to really verbalize, like almost sort of fight through what was being said of how you needed to do things, to get to the other side to say, no, we're, we're going to do it all. And that's, that is our strategy, is like we have both. And um, it's a really key strategy. You guys are at the forefront of that strategy's expansion. Um, we've been doing Pauline. We've been doing Petrine. But, uh, you know, really, uh, Pauline has really taken a lot of root in Chicago. You, there are so many more areas in diocese the upper Midwest that we need more Pauline works, just like we need more Petrine works. So, so as we are 
looking at the states we represent, um, there's a lot of thinking of like what's going to be best. Um, so I just want to sort of geek out in like strategy talk for like, I'm going to time myself, uh, four minutes. I'm going to give myself four minutes. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, okay, but I will say, like, I, I get to do this with you here, but I also get to work for Always Forward, the church planting initiative for ACNA, and I've also gotten to change their church plant training um, to be a, a time where people are really figuring out, uh, we're not using the language Pauline Petrine because basically everybody else outside of their diocese thinks that that's kind of weird, but... Um, <laughs> We're, we're basically, yeah, they'll come around. Yeah. <laughs> we're basically training in giving people an understanding of, of really what they are, plant or fit. Are they Petrine Pauline? What does their mission field look like? Because some mission fields, a Petrine church would never work. Again, some mission fields, a Pauline church would never work. So you've got your mission field, and then you've got where you're going for reproduction. Like at one, what point is what you're working on going to be in a good place to reproduce uh, another church or churches, and how do you get there? So a lot of those things look uh, are actually really um, similar in um, kind of the thought process, even though they look different as they come out. So... So that, um, so anyway, just know it's not like uh, Petrine and Pauline, we can't, there's so much language that we speak together in thinking through what is going to be a sustainable church that reproduces other churches. Um, a lot of components are, are similar, but we just need to get beyond this sort of uh, dichotomy of, of one being better than another. Um, and then also that understanding of like, we strategically it is good to think through Pauline and Petrine and place and and um, so because there's just there's a huge mission field and we got it it's it's there for us you know and so it's good work to do all that to say we're talking about multiplying churches uh, we want in our diocese to have every church being a reproducing church that there's no church within our diocese that is not involved in the work of church planting. Every single church in our diocese is a church planting church. That'll look different in different congregations, but um, it, it is our vision that everybody is doing this together. And so every church is a reproducing church within our diocese. Um, and we are going to talk tonight about one of the keys to multiplying churches uh, is multiplying yourself. So that's um, really what we're going to speak on tonight. So on your uh, handout, the key to multiplying churches is multiplying yourself, or we could also say multiplying leaders. We see all of you as leaders. That's why we're saying multiplying yourself. If you're here, you're a leader. Uh, you are all leaders, and we want you to multiply yourselves. Yeah, I mean, as we thought about this, we thought, you know, when you think about multiplying churches, at least if you're like me, you can feel a little bit like that's overwhelming, <laughs> you know, if you get overwhelmed by some of the big picture. Um, but to start with, how am I multiplying? How am I um, building up leaders, um, you know, working myself out of a job? I mean, however you want to say it, um, uh, that's so key. 
Um, and we'll, I'll tell a little bit of our story, but I, you know, I think for us, at one point, a, a turning point came, actually, where we got some pushback from some members of our church, where they felt like, you guys only seem to care about multiplying church planters. You know, like we talked a lot about, we need more church planters um, in, the, you know, in our diocese, which we, we do, obviously, we want that. Um, but they were like, well, how are these church planters going to plant churches if there aren't leaders to come with them? I mean, if they're not children's pastors and worship pastors and administrators. And, um, and so that was, uh, I think, a turning point where we realized, well, we're thinking too narrow about multiplication, about reproduction. We're just thinking if we can just find a planter and send them out. Um, and that's been kind of a turning point uh, for us. Yeah, I'm going to uh, start us with a quote that um, I feel like kind of, uh, I don't know, it has some verbiage in it that informs what we're talking about tonight. Because um, as we multiply leaders and you think about multiplying yourself, it does start in small ways. Everything starts small. Um, even if you're sending out like a large group to start a church or you're, you're kind of taking one church and, and forming four uh, churches, you know, congregations from it. Things start small and they grow. And I love this quote from George MacDonald in the book, The Elect Lady. It's uh, two brothers who are talking together. They've just had a fight and they've decided to resolve it. And so one brother says to the other, it's me to take care of you, Sandy. The other brother says, no, it's me to take care of you, Andrew. And here was the nucleus of a church. Two stones laid on the foundation stone. Look here, Sandy, said Andrew. We must have another, and soon there'll be four of us. How's that, asked Sandy. I wonder that we never noticed it before. Here's what he says. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. In that way, wherever he might be walking about, we could always find him. He likes two, and his father will hear the agreed prayer, but he likes three better. And that stands to reason, for three must be better than two. First one must love him, and soon two can love him better, because each one is helped by the other, and loves him the more that he loves the other one. And soon comes the third, and there's more and more throwing of lights, and there's the Lord himself in the midst of them, and three makes a better midst than two. Sandy could not quite follow the reasoning, but he had his own way of understanding. It's like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said. There was three of them, and so he made four. Just think of him being with us, his very self. Now here was the church indeed. Yeah, so we feel like a little bit of, um, again, our journey is God calling us into addition and now kind of expanding that to multiple uh, multiplication, uh, but just a little bit of our, our story. Some of you know, some of you don't, but um, uh, I don't remember actually the exact year, but it was some point um, when, when Stuart shared the timeline earlier of kind of our, our diocese and resurrection, some point after um, resurrection had left the Episcopal Church, uh, before we had um, joined the Anglican Mission in America, um, uh, I was attending a resurrection, um, was in seminary, um, and had a Sunday, uh, I think this was when um, Stuart was the rector, but probably very, very new. Oh, no, no, it would have been when William, William was the rector. Anyway, had a Sunday um, at uh, the church where um, uh, just a moment during worship, um, I actually, I must have been a reader reading scripture that day because I remember I was sitting more up front um, uh, where I just felt almost in a, in a voice, you know, um, again, not quite an audible voice, but clear enough that I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to start a church like this church, 
I mean, I mean, it wasn't more specific than that, but, you know, basically I want you to start a new church that's like this church. Um, and in one sense, I wasn't totally a surprising, um, uh, you know, thing to hear from the Lord. We were actually involved with a group in Chicago, a small group that had talked about, well, maybe someday this small group will become a church plant. Um, uh, but again, another thing that was surprising, we weren't yet part of Anglican Mission in America. There wasn't really talk about church planning. We were actually an independent Anglican church um, at that point. Um, I was going to Ted's Trinity, uh, you know, Evangelical Divinity School, and even there when I told people that I was, an, you know, part of an independent Anglican church, they knew enough to say, well, that's not right. Like, you can't be, you're Anglican, you're not supposed to be independent. They're like, we don't know anything about Anglicanism, and that's not right. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess it's not. They knew more than I did. I was like, I don't know, it's the only thing I've ever really known. Um, uh, but, um, uh, so, so to have that kind of moment of, I actually want you to start a church like this, and Again, as I shared that with Molly, um, she immediately resonated. It was such a, a God moment. Um, in my own sort of natural way, um, my thinking would have been, I just want to stay at this church. I love this church. I mean, you know, and, and I think sometimes we even tend to think, well, if you love a church too much, you won't want to leave it, right? You won't want to start new churches. But actually, I think what the Lord was saying, if you love this church so much, don't you want to start more churches like it? I mean, don't you want more people to experience what you've experienced here? Um, and uh, it ended up being a number of years, actually, before the Lord released us into that vision. Uh, and actually, a number of times where I kind of tried to let it go a little bit. I thought, well, maybe that was just my own thinking, and maybe that was just trying to figure out a job or something like that. And it became this thing where we just couldn't let it go. Um, and I think that's obviously at the heart, and we'll get more into this, of multiplying churches is it's just it's the Lord's heart, right, for the church. And we need, we need his inspiration. We need his vision because, um, again, at least for me, my natural inclination actually is to, to stay put. Um, the Lord um, eventually, a number of years later, and um, uh, we actually moved away. I worked at a different church for a couple of years. We came back to, to Resurrection. Uh, we're there for a few years, and again, continued to feel this um, stirring. Um, and that was confirmed among um, leaders of the, of the church. That was right brand new when we had just joined the Anglican Mission in America, which, as Stuart uh, mentioned, suddenly now we are part of a movement. Not a very big movement, a quite small movement, but at least a movement in Anglican churches. We actually had a bishop, and they were saying, we want to plant churches. And so even that was a way in which the Lord was saying, you know, what I told you, you know, four years ago, now you're actually part of a movement of churches that are committed to this and are, are passionate about it. They even gave us money to plant a church, which, you know, doesn't happen much anymore. Those were the early days. So, so you could actually get a grant um, to, to plant a church. Um, yeah. Keep going? Well, I was going to say, like, so we were sort of two stones on the foundation stone moving to Minnesota. But very soon, the Lord gave us that third stone of um, someone from Resurrection who decided to move to Minnesota with us, and then two more people who were in the Chicago area and moved to Minnesota with us as well. And we really did feel like God is in the midst of us. Um, well, and, I, and another thing that I almost don't even remember when this happened, um, uh, but um, our language started to change, and maybe some of it was being connected with the Anglican Mission in America, maybe some of it was just the years that the Lord gave us to live in that yeah, vision. Yeah, we were sort of seven years in that yeah. vision. But so. by the time we moved up, our materials actually, um, as we were doing fundraising, which many of you have done or are doing right now, our materials actually, um, we changed them from starting, you know, a church to starting churches. Um, and so, again, which 
for me, was a huge jump. I mean, I was terrified to start church, and suddenly now we were actually sharing with people saying, our vision is to start churches um, in Minnesota. And so, again, that was, I think, a work that the Lord did kind of against my natural inclination to say, actually, the vision's bigger than one church. Because, again, if we're starting this church because we want more churches like what we've experienced at Resurrection, a revival of Word and Sacrament, we didn't use that language at that time, but that's what we had experienced, of course we're, we're going to have more churches. Um, and even as this team started to gather, as we started to share a vision uh, for leadership among them, they immediately um, uh, latched onto it. So much so that two years into our church plant, we um, uh, bought a building. Do we, we don't need it. Yeah, well, anyway. Anyway, it, anyway, we were able to buy a building which, through the Lord's provision, a, a place we really felt like was meant to be a, a sending um, spot. We really felt like, okay, the Lord's providing us this building so that we can send people out. Um, but we started to get too full in our sanctuary. We started to talk with our leaders about um, uh, moving to two services, uh, which, you know, seemed to make sense to us. And the pushback we got was, why don't we just plant a church? <laughs> so we actually, which again was kind of maddening at the time because we didn't think we were ready to plant a church. We thought two services would help us, which it did. But we were also like, wow, it's so actually sunk in that we are about planting wow. churches um, that they're complaining that we want to start a second service, which is a lot easier than planting a church <laughs> instead of planting a whole church. Uh, so, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Lord then has been gracious to us in that. I mean, we have planted Petrine churches, um, Church of the Redeemer and Church, uh, Restoration Anglican. Um, we're going to be sending out a church planting team this fall. Uh, for another Petrine plant, that does not mean that we do not want Pauline, as you know. Absolutely. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Lord has just continued um, to, to kind of allow our church to, to understand that this is part of who we are. And I'd say just as all of you are involved in the work of starting things, to put that into the mix right away, that everyone who you're working with knows this is just what we do. Um, this, this is, as we talk about multiplying leaders, of course we multiply leaders because we multiply churches. And that's the only way we can multiply churches. And so it, to, to just know that this is part of our normal uh, place uh, and, and who we are as a diocese. And so we're going to talk about... Um, how that starts, the foundation for that, and uh, the foundation for that is our union with Christ. Um, so as individuals here tonight, for you to know that, as you know, Stuart was saying today, first thing, your Bible reading is so important. Um, it, your union with Christ is so important to the work we're doing. And then um, our union with Christ... Uh, you know, as churches is so important. Right. Yeah, so just as, you know, kind of I was saying my, my own experience, I, um, even as I, you know, and I continue to feel this way, even as I embrace the vision, um, and we'll talk a little bit about the inhibitors, even embrace the vision of multiplication, um, the vision of, you know, sending people out, I'm constantly aware of um, my natural tendency to resist that. Um, and, and you can only, you know, fake it for so long in the sense of like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm part of this diocese we talk about all the time. Um, uh, but, you know, you can only sort of make that happen because you know it's the right thing um, so far. Um, but yet, as I, you know, live in and, and, and seek to set aside time of, you know, remembering and sort of practicing union with Christ, um, you know, the Lord keeps pushing us in that way. I mean, it, it's through union with him 
uh, as that foundation that actually it's like, oh, this is just what I, I do because he's calling us to. The, the analogy I thought of um, is, uh, you know, Molly and I, when we moved up to Minnesota, we bought a, a house. Um, so we've been in that house for 17 years now. Um, this is the first time, you know, we were homeowners um, after renting for a number of years. Um, and I kind of had a vision for you buy a house, you do some work on the house when you first move in. And then you just live in the house. Like I thought Forever. that's Forever. Yeah. And then you're like happy that you have a house and you live in it. Um, uh, and so I would have this, you know, so this vision. So we did a lot of work. We painted. We refinished the floors. And then like a year later, Molly was like, well, I think we're going to do this next in our house. And I was like, well, wait. I thought we were done with doing stuff in the house. And like we just live in it now. Um, and that's been an issue for 17 years of like Molly always has something new to do to our house. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so we kind of had conflicting visions. You know, my vision is, oh, you settle in and then you just stay there. And her vision is, no, because you, you know, again, love this house. You want to keep improving it and making it better and doing more work on it. Um, and again, I think we can feel that way in the church at times. You know, the conflicting visions you know, is the vision, you know, for the people inside the church, for the people outside the church. But again, there's no conflicting vision in the church ultimately because we have a mission from our Lord, you know, to make disciples, so, you know, to seek and save the lost, you know, to reach, you know, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So clearly, you know, we may argue about it in the house, and sometimes we argue about it in the church, uh, but I lose in that case, right, because the Lord has made it clear what the vision is. There's always more, you know, there's, there's what's next, Lord? I mean, we can keep asking them, what's next? What's next? So there's always something new, but again, that union with Christ actually um, is, is where it comes from. Uh, again, you can't fake it, but uh, the Lord calls us to that. Yeah, and I mean, the wonderful thing is our union with Christ, we need to remember, as Stuart said, the church is a she, not an it. We are a bride, and there are no barren brides within God's kingdom. So we, we will have uh, these things happen, whether we like, like it or not, you know, uh, you know, it's either going to be a new church or a church split, it's a bad birth, you know, I don't know what, that was a terrible analogy, but I, uh, it, that, the it, we're meant, we're meant as the bride to have this beautiful fruitfulness, I guess is what I'm saying, it, and, and as we embrace our union with Christ, um, it, we can we can expect that, and so actually, even when you're not seeing that fruitfulness you want, I just love Hannah and her, you know, uh, what she what was called a drunken prayer by Eli. It it we can ask for that in that fervent way of prayer because this this is what we get to have as the bride. Um, of our beloved, who is in union with him, is is bringing his church um, and expanding it in the kingdom. So I just, I think that foundation is so important to hold on to, because there will be times where it just feels like, you know, this isn't working, nothing is happening, I don't know how to, like, what do I do? I can't do anything. And then to recognize it, it's our union with Christ, and he will multiply. Okay, so inhibitors. Yeah, first inhibitor is possessiveness. So in multiplying yourself, um, I think that there is a big temptation in any level of ministry to start to feel possessive. Um, you will think um, uh, this, like uh, maybe a ministry, oh, this is the way it needs to be done. 
which makes it very hard for other people to come in and join you in it because there's just your way of doing it. Or maybe you'll even start to be like, well, I know this so well, I'll just do it myself because it's faster for you. And, um, and it could even be that as you're raising up other leaders, you may even in the back of your mind recognize, wow, they're really good at this. I should be passing this on and, and you just don't want to. Um, and, uh, and you hold on to it for a long time. And so in multiplying, as you are thinking of multiplying yourself and working within a ministry area, um, recognize how possessiveness will inhibit multiplication. Yeah, I'm actually, um, this Sunday, I'm preaching on um, Acts 6, which, you know, we see the, you know, beginning of the office of deacon. Um, and just, you know, sometimes we remember that of, you know, obviously there was, you know, delegation um, happening there. But I think sometimes we can remember, you know, the apostles saying, you know, it's, it's you know, we're, we're called the prayer and pre preaching of the word of God um, and not to, you know, serving tables. And, you know, again, sometimes we may remember that almost like they were kind of, you know, despising serving tables, which, of course, we know is not true. But I think sometimes that's almost the way Acts 6 is remembered, um, as opposed to actually, you know, they said, you know, raise up leaders. You know, I mean, they wanted to protect, obviously, what they were called to and what they were supposed to focus on. So they had to, you know, be careful. But obviously, it would have been more arrogant for them to say, oh, we'll take care of this, too. I mean, to say, okay, we can, we can do more, you know, because obviously, if there's a problem, we have to be the ones to fix it. Um, and so, again, I think sometimes people are like, man, was that kind of arrogant of the disciples to say, well, we're, it's beyond below us, which they didn't say, but, you know, we can't serve tables, which, again, actually holding on to, you know, all their leadership and saying we basically have to be the ones in charge of everything is what really would have damaged um, the mission of the church. Instead, you know, they asked, you know, the folks to raise up leaders who are of good reputation, um, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who have wisdom. Um, and, you know, seven incredible leaders are raised up. At least we assume they're incredible. The two that we know about were really incredible, Stephen um, and Philip, that we have more information on. And so I think that's, you know, kind of a great non-possessive moment um, that involved, obviously, expansion of ministry. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, again, sometimes um, the multiplying of yourself um, can be, it's intimidating um, when there's uh, leaders around you that are really good at things. And, and, but we feel like, yeah, to multiply churches, you have to push into that desire not to even give up your own individual. Yeah, uh, so there's a quote by a singer we like, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. And uh, I think that um, it's hard to multiply yourself and let go of things. So, um, it, you know, the the Lord is going, you're his servant. He's going to move you where needed. And so I've had to give up ministry areas that I just thought were a lot of fun. But the work had been done of raising up the next leader. And I needed to get out of the way. And so even recognizing there's some grieving process sometimes in multiplying. I mean, we see this as we send out people for another church. Like, oh, we just invested so much in those people. And now they're leaving us. They're not leaving us. We know, William. It's all one church. But, uh, I thought you were saying that to Molly. So, <laughs> Molly left us. So Molly left there us. There she is, just sitting there. Yeah, she's yeah, smiling under that mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. There she's crying. Emily, yeah. Emily left us, That's too. Right. Yeah. Left us. Who else left us here? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, there, there is some, uh, some grieving with that. And then there's also even the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's even within the same ministry area and even giving up something within that ministry area you've enjoyed doing. And you just need to allow somebody else to do it. You're staying within that. 
area, but in, in your place of multiplying other leaders, you're creating, you're just creating more space. And I, anyway, we just yeah. want to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, another example we thought of as we were talking about this is um, uh, the former children's pastor at Church of the Cross loves teaching children. Um, and again, she became our children's pastor when we were very small, and so she was teaching kids every Sunday, big group, you know, big growing groups of kids. Um, and she loved it, you know, and there'd be times where I'd be like, you know, you need to have someone else teach, you know, so you're not always missing church every Sunday or missing, you know, worship um, in the sanctuary every Sunday. It's all, it's all church. Um, uh, but that was super hard for her to do. But as more leaders um, were raised up, um, she made the sacrifice, and it was a huge sacrifice for her. But as she did that, um, suddenly now she had actually a children's leadership team um, of incredible um, uh, leaders. Um, and she was probably only teaching, you know, once a month and, and less and less. Um, but our children's ministry just thrived and expanded. She eventually actually felt called to go to one of our um, uh, church plants, uh, to Redeemer, um, and to lead sort of their children and youth ministry over there. When she did that, we actually had five incredible candidates actually to choose from to be our new children's pastor. I mean, it was amazing. Here was this beloved children's pastor who'd been with us from the beginning saying she was going to leave, and that was hard, and again, it was sad. But I actually wasn't anxious at all. I shouldn't be anxious anytime. You know, the Lord tells us not to worry. But I thought, we've got incredible candidates. Like, I know we'll have a great children's pastor because she's invested in so many, and one of them ended up taking the, the role. So, so that was something where, again, it was painful for her to give up, but actually led to um, our work of church planting. Yeah, so uh, just know that we could be inhibited by possessiveness, but learning to just sort of that laying down ourselves um, really will be important in that work of multiplying. As well, our second inhibitor is resistance to change. And um, you may think, I'm here at this because I love change. And I'm maybe especially our Pauline folks, you're like, Hey, bring it on, change, change, more change. Um, I tend to like change, but uh, it, 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 and someone else doesn't. Um, uh, but resistance to change, I think, is, is an inhibitor to multiplication. And uh, sometimes in your own life, you will experience it. Maybe the Lord's asking you to move somewhere new. That's a really hard change to make. Um, but oftentimes, you'll be leading people in change. Actually, you will always be leading people in change, not sometimes. You will always be leading people in change. And um, change brings up a lot of tension and stress and unknowns and ambiguity, and so it causes anxiety. And um, that is the normal sphere that a leader works in with others, is helping them um, to understand how to minimize that anxiety and to normalize change so that they, they really have that expectation of what will happen in the change that the Lord is doing. But in a multiplying church culture, it, it's part of um, what you live in. Yeah. So we had, yeah, this experience probably, maybe it was like four years ago, um, where uh, Molly was coming uh, with me to a vestry meeting. I think it was actually um, to talk about Gregory House and wanting to expand sort of our, our residency program. And um, I, I have a great vestry, very supportive. But I kind of had this pit in my stomach going to that meeting thinking, 
man, I feel like every meeting I'm asking them for more money. I don't know if you always feel that way or other rectors feel that way, but I feel like, you know, each meeting I have some new idea that's going to be, we're changing the budget once again, you know? And again, at least in the Petrine world, you know, I think the expectation is you set a budget once a year and then you follow that budget and only, you know, in really weird moments, you change the budget. Um, and so I thought like, man, I can't believe I'm going again. At least I got Molly with me this time, you know, and we're presenting this idea and then we're going to give them a price tag to it. And we shared it, um, and they were excited about the idea. And then I said, but I realized, you know, I'm sorry, it means we're adjusting the budget again. And I started to apologize, and one of our vestry members said, like, why are you apologizing? And he said, our church is a growth culture church. I said, so why do you, why do you always apologize when you're asking for money? And what struck me is I remember thinking, like, wait a second, growth culture, that's like a, you know, William Beasley thing. That's like a greenhouse thing. Like, we're not growth culture, you know? And it struck me, actually, we are, you know? I mean, we look, this is growth culture, again, in at least one Petrine uh, model. That it, it you know, um, it doesn't have quite the fluidity, I think, the greenhouse does. Um, but it was super freeing for me. And actually, no one pushed against them. They were all kind of like, yeah, you know, what's the big deal? I realized, you know, I kind of, you know, adapted a mentality of like, oh, everyone hates change. But I think what we experienced is, um, you know, and this is when I think we were right around um, uh, planting restoration. So, um, so people are kind of like, hey, this is what we do. Um, and so I think that as, as we get used to change, it doesn't get less painful again. But, but, but I think, I think it becomes changes. more normal. Yeah. I think, yeah, that it, people, like, when we can speak into, like, yeah, this is sort of what we do, then it sort of normalizes it a little bit. And, yeah. Um, la uh, last inhibitor um, uh, to discuss is timidity. Um, and uh, we wrote down um, this passage here from 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And um, I think that timidity... Uh, it really does look like sowing sparingly. So when in this verse, when it says um, not reluctantly or under compulsion, that timidity is reluctant. Um, to be timid is to feel like you have to do it, but under compulsion. It, your heart's not really in it. God loves a cheerful giver, uh, one whose heart is in it. Oh, this is the artwork I could have used. Past two years, I brought a piece of art. I could have brought could have brought Van Gogh's The Sower, but just in thinking about when they would sow a field and totally scatter that seed. And you wouldn't go back with your bag still half full of seed. It, you just, is all to be sowed. Um, and that's what we need to do in multiplying churches as well, is to think through how, what, how might we be timid? What's, are we facing any timidity? in our life. Some of that could come from thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I don't know if I should do this. Uh, some of that timidity can be, I think there's somebody else better than me to do this. Um, and, and ultimately, timidity is a lack of trust. So uh, 
in, in the one who supplies then the seed for you. Okay, do you want to talk about, okay, yeah, let's go to that. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'd take five yeah. minutes, and then we'll, we'll finish up the, the talk uh, with a couple of things. Um, just to reflect on, again, um, maybe thinking about these inhibitors, is there one, maybe all, maybe none, um, but that kind of hits home like, huh, yeah, this is an area um, that uh, could be an inhibitor me, or this is an area of struggle. So we just thought we'd take a few minutes just to allow some time for quiet, for prayer. I think Bonnie's going to play something for us. I think it will take a few minutes. If you want to journal, pray, just consider um, any of those possible um, inhibitors, and then we'll share a few closing thoughts. We're going to um, just wrap up quickly with a couple of practical lessons in multiplying. Um, one of the lessons in multiplying it relates back to the quote we started with in the book of don't multiply by yourself. We want you to multiply yourself, but not by yourself. We want you to multiply with others. So this is um, something you do in partnering together. And I think it get, ties back to William's vision of lights that were going out by twos. Uh, Jesus sending disciples out by twos. Um, do the work of multiplication together and with someone. Um, always have someone with you in ministry. Um, don't do something alone. Uh, even if it's as simple as like you have to make copies or something. That somebody else needs to learn how to do that. Uh, and um, so just it, always be thinking of, of the inclusion of others in, in your work because that's the way multiplication is going to happen. Um, another uh, thing in this is, uh, and you can fill, jump in, okay, yep. is um, uh, I think that multiplication is, and thinking about multiplying leaders um, is really uh, good to think about uh, forming teams. And I know that we talk about forming teams and our different leadership um, times together in Gregory House and Greenhouse, but teams are a great way for you to think, to start to see who you're going to be investing more time in to multiply them as a leader. I think teams really end up showing you well who's really that person um, because it's kind of like Samuel going to David and all of his brothers and being like to all the brothers, like, isn't this the guy? Isn't this the guy? Oh, no, it's David, you know, because I, I've had experiences um, of forming teams where I, you know, did maybe uh, anyone who wants to help me with this project, be on this team with me. And I'll get someone on the team and be like, oh, it's so awesome that this person joined the team. This is going to be great. I'm going to be able to have someone to pass this on to. They're amazing. And then they flake out on you, you know. It just, it, it sometimes happens. Uh, and oftentimes it's the person on the team that you're like, oh, that's so sweet that they joined the team. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, and then you're just like, wow, I've got a powerhouse in that person. That's the one I'm going to be investing in for multiplying leaders. So just know teams are really nice way to figure out who, who's going to be multiplied. And then again, um, including people with you, just anything you're doing have someone join you. Yeah, I mean, I think this always feels like a kind of obvious one, but we realize it's not that obvious. You know, similar to sort of the team idea, get a group of, you know, people together, work on a project together. 
Um, but we, you know, run into this, you know, a lot of talking with church planners. Like, it's great to give people tasks before roles. And again, maybe sometimes it's because church planners are just thinking, who can I give this job away to? Who can I give this role to? Um, but, you know, if you're thinking about raising a leader, start with tasks. Um, uh, give someone a project uh, to work on before you put them in charge of a whole area. Even, again, if it's in charge of maybe, you know, a smaller area. Um, but again, similar to what Molly said about teams, we just found it again and again. Tasks are a great way to figure out who's maybe in the place that they're, you know, going to be someone. We want to invest in everybody, but there's maybe somebody that they're more in a season that they're ready to be invested in or they have a maturity level. Um, and again, um, sometimes we've seen folks, kind of like Molly said, be so excited about someone, give them a role, um, and suddenly they realize, ooh, actually that role's not a great fit for them. But now that, again, if we probably just given them a project instead of a job title, um, uh, we would have learned a lot. But, yeah. but again, at the same time, giving people projects is a, is a great way to give folks responsibility. And sometimes that's all they want to take. Um, and we found um, when we've been too excited sometimes about, you know, we want to raise you up as a leader, that can freak fo some folks out. They can immediately say, I'm not a leader. But when you say, hey, would you take this project on? Um, they take it on and actually realize um, they are a leader. Um, mm -hmm. And then the final one, maybe this is a couple things wrapped up in one. Um, and again, maybe this is obvious, um, uh, but just that constant um, identifying, you know, gifts um, in others. Uh, 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 maybe you've read the book Exponential. A number of us have read it. Um, but it had, um, again, when I read this, I thought it was kind of corny, but I've not forgotten it. Um, they're like the four most important letters for, you know, someone that's mentoring someone else's. I see and you. Um, I see and you. I see and you. Um, uh, you get it? So like I see in you that you're really excited about this. I see in you a passion about this type of ministry. I see in you a gifting and working with children. I see in you a love for beauty, um, art. Um, and again, it's sort of simple. It's sort of corny. I think about it all the time. I mean, constantly when I'm like talking with someone and thinking, what, what can I say to them? Oh, I need to say what I see in them. I haven't, I haven't said that. Um, I think that kind of ties into, again, um, that intentionality and we find sort of with raising up leaders, there's, uh, at least I feel at times, almost a tension of um, being very intentional. Um, and we're trying at, at Church of the Cross now to use more of the language of apprenticing. So actually saying, I want you to be my apprentice in this, you know, um, which again, can feel a little awkward. You know, we're trying to do it with like our soundboard, for instance. And our soundboard guy was like, I have to call people apprentices, you know, so we had to help him with it. Uh, but he's really good at doing the soundboard. Other people were kind of figuring out how to do the soundboard, but we, we felt like it needed to be more defined. We actually needed to say, you're an apprentice learning how to use the soundboard, and Jesse is apprenticing you. Um, and so giving that formality has actually made it a little bit more like they understand, oh, I am being invested in. I'm expected to, to grow um, as a leader. Um, and so, and again, for me, at least that doesn't come naturally, that level of intentionality. But of course, at the same time, um, you, you don't want anyone to feel like they're a project, right? You don't want them to feel like it's only about me apprenticing you. Um, you want them to know, you know, I enjoy you. You know, you're a friend. Um, uh, and um, uh, so the story that I love is a Christian therapist uh, tells a story of, you know, a client he had as a therapist and how um, uh, as a therapist he had sort of this breakthrough moment with this client. You know, he says, you know, this is one of those moments where he felt like, well, what I'm doing really makes a difference. You know, I'm like, I really can, I really am, you know, he was a very successful therapist, but he still had those moments where it's like, wow, this really made a difference. He said this was one of those moments with this um, uh, client. Um, but then later he saw um, uh, um, this client out, I think it was like on a college campus, like hanging out outside. I mean, he was driving by, he saw him, he pulled over, 
got out of his car, like went over and said, hey, how are you? They talked for a while. They kind of hung out for a while. You know, he drove away. I guess it was a few years later after his relationship um, with that uh, client had ended um, that he saw him again. Um, and this guy said, hey, you know, how are you? And they were catching up. And he said, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the difference you made in my life. Um, and, you know, the therapist was like, thank you. And he said, you know the thing that really made a difference. I mean, the therapist is thinking, you know, that counseling session. And the guy was like, I will never forget where you stopped over and just hung out and talked with me. Like, that meant so much to me. Um, and again, the therapist felt a little crushed, you know. Like, you know, that was the thing that made the difference. But as I thought about that, I mean, I love that story because I love just hanging out with people, you know. So I'm like, oh, good. Like, that's what really makes a difference. But I think what made the difference was is that he was his therapist, you know. He was someone who had said, I'm intentionally investing in you, but I actually care about you as a person as well. You know, I mean, it wouldn't have meant that much for him just to hang out with them if he, they also hadn't had that intentional relationship. So I think sort of working that balance of, I'm intentionally mentoring you, I'm intentionally, um, uh, uh, and again, I think our bishop's great at this, of you know, being very defined and yet clearly showing this is about more than me raising you up as a leader, it's about me, you know, I love you and I want to see you grow because you're my friend and mm -hmm. I care about you. I, uh, multiplying yourself is not cloning yourself. Um, the people who you will multiply as leaders are gonna look very different from you. Um, and they have unique gifts, and the I see in you, it, it will be different than what, you know, um, and unique to them. And so uh, that's part of what, as well, is going to make our movement really special, is when um, everyone is allowed to be their unique self, uh, taking on the mission that God is calling them to. And it's just so fun to be in the role of multiplying leaders. And... Um, so we're just very excited about you really stepping into the roles that you have in these different churches throughout our diocese and Greenhouse and Gregory House and other staff positions um, because it, our, our hope is that you have a lot of fun doing this. Um, it's just uh, can be such rewarding work.